0: Uh, be seated, everyone. I invite you to uh, take your scripture and turn with me to uh, Psalm 20. Last time uh, we saw in Psalm uh, 19 uh, the wonder of the voice uh, of the Lord uh, speaking clearly in the creation around us, speaking clearly. Uh, in the inscripturated word uh, and then also our voice that responds in return to that twofold witness of the glory of God. Uh, Our voice uh, responds with that confession that He's our Lord, our Rock, uh, and our our Redeemer. And so we have uh, been with David and he has been teaching us how to pray and how to sing. Uh, And Psalm 20 is really Uh, David helping us to understand how we should go to battle how we should go to war and so this is the word of the Lord may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble may the name of the God of Jacob protect you may he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king, and may he answer us when we call. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his help tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, that as we have uh, sung... Uh, together uh, We have your your word before us, and it's through that word by your spirit that you you set us free and that there is glory uh, on every page. But Lord, we will not see it uh, unless you graciously work in us and through us even tonight by your spirit. And so help us, Lord, to see that glory uh, even on this page, that we might love you more and serve you as we go out from this place. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, the, uh, the Soldiers' Pocket Bible, also known as Cromwell's Soldiers' Bible, was carried by the soldiers of Oliver Cromwell's Commonwealth Army uh, during the English Civil War in the 17th century. Uh, it was edited and distributed, actually, to those soldiers in 1643 uh, by a member, it turns out, of the Westminster Assembly of Divines, Edmund Calamy. It was about the size of a modern-day... Passport, and it was meant to fit inside their their waistcoat, uh, close to their close to their heart. It only had 16 pages, but it contained about 150 verses uh, from the Geneva Bible. In 1861, the American Tract Society published 50,000 copies uh, and distributed them to northern troops at the beginning of the American Civil War. All these verses were grouped into these uh, 16 sections, which each had their headings. Uh, some of them went like this. A soldier must be valiant for God's cause. A soldier must not rely on his own wisdom, his own strength, or any provision for war. A soldier must put his confidence in God's wisdom and strength. A soldier must pray before he goes to fight. A soldier must cry unto God in his heart in the very instant of battle. Let soldiers and all of us know, went another heading, that the very nick of time that God hath promised us help is when we see no help in man. Let soldiers and all of us know that if we obtain any victory over our enemies, it's our duty to give all the glory to the Lord. For the iniquities, another heading went, for the iniquities of God's people, they are sometimes delivered in the hands of their enemies. Therefore, both soldiers and all God's people upon such occasions must search out their sins. And then one more heading went like this. Especially let soldiers and all of us upon such occasions search whether we have not put too little confidence in the arm of the Lord and too much in the arm of flesh. And then they quote from Jeremiah 17. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. These are some really good headings in that soldier's Bible, Too little confidence in the arm of the Lord. Too much confidence in our own strength. No doubt we can all relate, I would think, to, uh, to that at different points in our lives. Uh, too much confidence in our own arm. Not enough confidence uh, in the arm of the Lord. Uh, David could relate, of course. Uh, Most obviously in Psalm 51, uh, as he cries out to the Lord, have mercy on me, O God, as he reflects on his own sin. Well, like I said, David has taught us to pray in Psalm 18. Psalm 19, he taught us how to sing. And now he teaches us how to go to battle. In Psalm 20, we find the king uh, is marching to war. Uh, Prayers and sacrifices are being made, plans have been made, banners are flying, and the people pray. Uh, There is confidence in victory, uh, and there is no doubt uh, in whom they trust. Prayer, first of all, prayer in the day of trouble. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support. From Zion. Prayer in the day of trouble. Day of trouble could be translated the day uh, of distress. Uh, so if any of you have ever been in distress or trouble, uh, we need to listen carefully uh, to this song. We are to pray in the day of trouble that the name of God would protect us. The word protect there means to be put up in a place of high security in the day of of trouble. In the first five verses, you find the word may six times. You've got the word you or your ten times uh, and the pronoun we once. So this is clearly a prayer on behalf of someone else, eventually identified in verse six uh, as the Lord's anointed. So this is a prayer by the king uh, written uh, for the king in the day of trouble. And David, of course, had his fair share uh, of uh trouble. Uh, in fact, uh, the Lord would tell David at one point he could not build the temple uh, for the Lord because you are a man of war uh, and have shed, have shed blood. There's lots of trouble for David. Of course, there's lots of trouble for Jesus. Jesus had plenty of days of trouble, tempted by Satan, uh, a crowd wanting to throw him off a cliff uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane and at the cross. And Job 5 says, man, you and I uh, is born to trouble as sparks fly upward, job fourteen man 's life is few of days uh, and full of trouble. Uh, this psalm is talking about prayer in the day of trouble, and uh, though, of course, the day of trouble has come and gone for David, the day of trouble has come and gone for the Lord Jesus. Uh, they were protected, they were defended. They came through victorious, the battle, of course, for the church. Uh, remains as she faces troubles uh, day by day. We've got the trouble of our own sinful nature. We've got the trouble of temptations in the world all around us, um, and we've got the trouble, of course, of the evil one who's seeking to seeking to devour us. So there's still lots of lots of days of trouble. But here's the thing: notice where help uh, is is sought. It's kind of surprising. Verse two: May he send you help. Remember, he's going to battle as the king. May he send you help from the sanctuary. And give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. So this prayer in the day of trouble recognizes that help and support are sought and come from the sanctuary. Could be translated come from uh, the holiness or the, the holy place. And Zion, what's this talking about? It's talking about the dwelling place of God, the city of his People. And so the psalmist is saying uh, the true help for us is going to come uh, from where God is present uh, with his people. It's an appeal to the, the presence of God himself, the holiness, Zion, the place where God dwells. That's where help and support is going to come. Now, that may sound really strange to our ears because a modern day composer of this psalm may have written something like this. May he or may the Lord send you help from the government. May the Lord send you help from the police. May the Lord send you help from the military. After all, you're going to battle. May the Lord send you help from the bank. May the Lord send you help from other nations. But not from the church where God dwells. Not from the place of worship. Not from Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us, in whom the Bible says the fullness of deity dwells. Uh, the living temple. And we are living temples. But He is the temple. And uh, so it's kind of strange. But of course, not strange to the psalmist, because throughout the Psalms, uh, this, is, this is where help comes from. Psalm 22, 11. Be not far from me, speaking to God, for trouble is near uh, and there is none to help. I need the Lord close by for help uh, and support. You know, of course, the opening to the Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present uh, help in Trouble. You know, Psalm 50, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall uh, glorify me. There's all sorts of passages that remind us of that. We think about Ephesians 6 in the New Testament where we're encouraged, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So it doesn't surprise, shouldn't surprise the Christian uh, that when this prayer goes out in the day of trouble, it's a prayer for, uh, for the presence of the Lord Himself. It's even a prayer for, the, uh, for the, the place where He dwells. It's a prayer that says, I know help and support is going to come from, from God and from His people in the midst uh, of which He dwells. Verse 3 tells us, May He remember all your offerings, regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. This part of the prayer, kings would offer sacrifices upon which a favorable result is depended in war. This is a prayer that the offerings and sacrifices of the king would be looked on uh, with favor. Verse four, may he grant you your heart's desire, fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill uh, all your petitions. And so this is talking about the, uh, the heart's desire of the king uh, that the Lord would fulfill Uh, All his desire, all his plans, that all his petitions uh, would come to fruition, that they would be blessed uh, by the Lord. What was to be Uh, the king's desire? Well, we read that later in the in the Psalms uh, as well, in Psalm thirty-seven four, which says, uh, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires uh, of your heart." And here the believers pray for their king as he goes into battle, that uh, his uh, heart's desire would be fulfilled. Well, that's to delight yourself in the Lord. That's what a king was to do. Now, David would grow in that, of course. David didn't always delight in the law of the Lord. He didn't delight in the in the Lord himself, but he would grow in that. Uh, but this clearly was the uh, was the, uh, delight. This was the heart, of course, of the Savior, as we think about King Jesus. But here in this prayer, simply the Israelites knew that this prayer for the king was intimately tied to to their own deliverance as they prayed for the king to be delivered, that his plans and petitions would be fulfilled. They knew that their salvation uh, was tied to the their king going into battle and him being preserved and him being victorious. And so they pray that that this king would be preserved, that he would be saved because they know that their salvation is tied up with his salvation. Their deliverance is tied up with his deliverance. Their victory is linked with his victory. And so this is, this is the people of God praying for David, of course. And we're talking about a, a military battle. We're talking about actual, uh, in the physical plane of, of battles. But when we think about the, the greater David, the greater king, when we think about Jesus, it's the same thing, that David's victory, the, the people's victory, was tied up in his victory as their king. Our victory is tied up in the victory of King Jesus. Our hope and life and death lies in the success of God's anointed King alone. That is the success of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a good way to think about it. As goes the King, so goes the people. Right? Whatever happened to King David, that would, that would be what would happen to the Israelites. And it's the same for us. As goes King Jesus... So goes those who belong to King Jesus. Well, unlike, of course, those of Psalm 20, we pray this prayer. We pray Psalm 20 on this side of the cross and the resurrection. The battle has been won. But, of course, uh, the war continues. And so that's why the Lord Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, where we pray for King Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. And we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth Uh, As it is in heaven. May your plans. May your purposes. Your petitions. May they all be fully fulfilled. He's won the victory. At the cross. And by his resurrection. But Jesus says you need to keep praying. That the kingdom would come. uh, That all my plans. All my petitions. All that that, uh, the father has sent me to do. That that's going to come to full fruition. Especially when you're facing the day of trouble. So there's prayer in the day of trouble. There's also uh, great confidence in the day of trouble. Notice how verse 6 goes. Now I know, so just prayed for the king going to battle. Now I know, verse 6, that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. So the victory in this battle uh, is, is, is so certain that the psalmist uh, can taste it. Now you may have noticed that there's a change there from uh, you and you to, uh, and we to uh, I. Verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. So is this, this could be the king himself. This could be King David himself speaking here. This could be the people collectively speaking as I. Uh, it's probably, probably just both. Uh, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. But the point here is that the victory is so certain uh, the psalmist can taste it and the celebration is in sight. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might uh, of his right hand. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. The people in this psalm, before their king went to battle, notice, felt sure of victory and therefore began to rejoice beforehand. I know the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer. Uh, How much more, says Spurgeon, ought we to do this, who have seen the victory uh, completely won? Praying for the king as he goes to battle, may he be delivered. May salvation come to him and, of course, then to us. Well, we, says Spurgeon, we're on the other side of the battle. Why should not faith, says Spurgeon, commence piping, making music, as we were talking about earlier, before the dance of victory begins? Buds are beautiful. Promises not yet fulfilled are worthy to be admired. This is what he says. If joy, because we know the victory is certain, if joy were more general among the Lord's people, God would be more glorified among men. The happiness of the subjects is the honor of the sovereign. Imagine your king and you've got a thousand subjects in your kingdom and uh, they're always walking around with a glum face. As if this is the worst place, this is the worst kingdom you could ever live in. Well, that, that's what Spurgeon's saying. That reflects on the king. But if, of course, you're the king and you've got a thousand subjects, uh, and they are filled with happiness and joy and assurance and confidence uh, that, uh, that, this, that, that, that this, this king is, is ruling, he's, 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 he had, salvation has come, deliverance has come, uh, and, um, and, and all his desires and petitions are fulfilled, uh, there's going to be joy. Among the citizens of that kingdom. In other words, it's as if uh, the celebration has already begun in verse 6. Because the psalmist here saying, we know that he answered. Shouting for joy at the salvation, the deliverance of the king, both the victory of the king himself over his enemies and, of course, the victory of the people of the king over their enemies is a joy to be celebrated now. Now, I know, the Lord says, he will answer with the saving might of his right hand. Now they knew that before David went to battle. We know that because, of course, the king, Jesus, has already come and has already won the greatest battle. Isn't it wonderful how the psalmist puts it? He will answer with the saving might of his right hand. could be translated this way. It doesn't make sense, really. We don't understand it. That's why it's translated this way. But it could be translated the the mightinesses of salvation with the mightinesses of salvation of his right hand. And so no doubt the Psalms is thinking like the Israelites out of Egypt, mighty salvation or uh, Gideon with his small band, the mightinesses of salvation or Joshua at the walls of Jericho, the mightinesses of salvation uh, or Daniel and his three fins, whether it's the lion or the fire, the mightiness of his salvation. These are things we think about what we're supposed to think about. In this verse. The mightiness of his salvation, obviously, with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we confess tonight. He was born, humiliated, uh, crucified, but exalted. He now reigns and rules at the right hand uh, of the Father. I, I know the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer with the mightiness of his salvation. Of his Right hand, and so there's a confidence, there's an assurance uh, in the day of trouble uh, that the victory uh, has already been won. I think Spurgeon's got it right. He says, as Spurgeon as Spurgeon says here, our happiness in the Lord, that He answers from heaven, saves with the might of His right hand, brings honor to the Lord. Confidence and assurance uh, that the Lord uh, the Lord uh, delivers. Oh, that brings. That brings honor, you see, to the Lord. So they had great confidence. Uh, of course, his anointed here, David was the anointed king. But throughout the Psalms, the word anointed there is the, is the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah, right? Now I know that the Lord saves his Messiah. And throughout the Psalms, uh, that was never limited to just David. It was always Bigger always pointing to something bigger, one who would reign uh, forever and ever on the throne, pointing, of course, to the Lord Jesus. So we've got the, uh, we've got the uh, prayer in the day of trouble. We've got uh, confidence uh, in uh, the day uh, of trouble. And we've also got uh, trust, uh, in the day of trouble. Uh, trust in the day of trouble. Trust uh, in the day of trouble because the battle is won Uh, In the name of the Lord, no doubt you noticed here in this song several times we have invoked uh, or implored the name of the Lord. Verse one, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Verse five, may we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Verse seven, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It actually just says some chariots, uh, some horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. There's prayer in the day of trouble, confidence in the day of trouble, and there's trust in the day of trouble. uh, And that trust is in the name of the Lord. The divine name... Is not a magical charm in the Bible, nor is it to be used superstitiously as if saying his name repeatedly has some kind of power. Uh, Just repeating the name of the Lord or the name of Jesus again and again. The name of God in the Bible represents his revealed character, the revelation of all that he is and all which he has spoken. That's why it is a sin to take the name of your God In vain, because the name of God, right, represents who God is in all his glory and all his and all his all his wonder. And so to take that name ever on your lips or on my lips, even maybe when I'm singing a hymn, taking his name or the name of Jesus on my lips. But my mind is far away in some amusement park or something like that. That is a sin and it's a great sin. Why? Because the name of God on my lips uh, is all about God Himself. And all that He's revealed Himself to be. Of course, the ninth commandment protects someone's good name. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And Proverbs says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Here, the psalmist implores the name of God. Now, why the name of the God of Jacob? Well, because Jacob, of course, himself, if it's referring to Jacob himself... Well, we you know, Jacob himself had his own day of trouble back in Genesis 32. Jacob and, uh, you know, the trials that he had and his days of distress. He called on the name of the Lord. The Lord answered him. If it's referring to Jacob in the sense of the people of God as a whole, same thing. All their distresses in, in Egypt or wherever it might be. And so by speaking of him as the, the God of Jacob, that brings to mind all those former times of trouble and distress from which the Lord saved his people. And so the name of God, all that he is for us, is appealed to here in the second verse as our protection. Uh, Verse verse 1, may the name of the God of Jacob, his name, all that he is, all that he's revealed himself to be, protect you. Again, that word protect means set you up in a high place in the day of distress. Proverbs 18.10 says... um, uh, talks about how the uh, the name of the Lord, uh, name of the Lord, is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safe in the name of the Lord. A young David could face Goliath because of the name. Remember in First Samuel 17, David says, "You come at me with uh, the sword and spear and javelin," and then David says. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And no doubt, Goliath, thinks, (laughs) You know, I've got the weaponry. And we know how that story ends. When we go to battle against Satan, sin within, sin in the world, we need protection. We need to be set up high. And that only comes... Uh, as a, we appeal to the name of our God. And uh, the wonderful thing, of course, is we can go to battle because he sets his name upon us. Uh, when you think about the blessing, the uh, Levitical uh, uh, or the priestly blessing in Numbers uh, number 6, at the end of that blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you and so forth. Uh, the verse that, that is not usually quoted in a worship service goes right after it that says, and by this, uh, the Lord is placing his name on you. So that when you go out from worship, You go out under the name of the Lord and under his protection. Same thing in Revelation 3, in the letters to the churches. It talks about being, uh, I will write uh, God's name on you. Believers, receive the name of God upon us. Why would the Bible speak that way? Because we are protected uh, as we belong to him. So there is protection in the name of God. There's also victory found. Victory is found in the name of God. Verse 5, may we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your pages. And Then verse 6, of course, sees that victory as good as accomplished. So there is victory in the name of God. That is the revelation of all that he is. And of course, for us, all that he has revealed himself to be in the Lord. Jesus Christ, the sons of uh, sons of Korah, thinking about music again, those who uh, provided music for God's people, the sons of Korah in Psalm 44 echo this theme with these words, Psalm 44, verse four. You are my king, O God ordain salvation for Jacob through you. We push down our foes through your name. We tread down those who rise up against us for not in my bow. Do I trust? Nor can my sword save me, but you have saved us from our foes. You have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, have you? Do I? In God we boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. There's victory in the name. There are shouts of joy here in Psalm 20 over your salvation. Likewise, uh, Asaph who also appears in the Psalms, uh, echoes this same truth in Psalm 79. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Victory in this battle, friends, is celebrated with the setting up uh, in verse 5 of banners. When there's victory through the king, there's a setting up of banners that belong to the king. What are banners? Well, Numbers 2.2 talks about the, the standards. The people of Israel had actual banners, flags, standards of their father's houses uh, around which they would always camp. And so you can think about uh, different uh, heritages who maybe had family crests or you think about the Scots who have their kilts, identifying them with a certain, certain family to set them apart. And uh, we've got state flags, we've got uh, national flags. I was just reading this past week that in Tennessee there's legislation passing through the uh, assembly that will limit the kinds of uh, flags that can be displayed in public schools. There can only be certain national flags and things like that, because everybody wants to set up a flag, whether it's LGBT or whatever. There's all sorts of flags, and, and we love waving different flags uh, for things we want to boast uh, in So they actually had to uh, and want to establish a law that only certain flags, certain standards, certain banners can be set up. This is important. Think of that iconic photo of soldiers raising the U.S. flag at Iwo Jima. You set up your banner. Think of uh, Neil Armstrong and Bo- I wasn't bored, but I've seen it. Think of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin planting the flag on the moon, July of 69, as the world watched on television. You set up your banners. Um, but these banners and standards here in the psalm of verse 5, that God's people set up, are not about nations of this world. We're not looking to plant the U.S. flag everywhere. But the banner of King Jesus, the King, who the psalmist encourages to remind us, the victory is certain, we're going to be confident and assured. And because we're so certain and assured, victory is in the name of the King uh, that we can set up his banners, who embraces by grace through faith peoples of every tribe and tongue and language and nation. There is no place for waving your own flag in the international church of Jesus Christ. There's just absolutely no place. For your own banner. Your own standard, Right? When uh, victory is in King Jesus. And so the psalmist with David. David the king is victorious. His banner. Is the one. We establish. And only his. We shout for joy. At his salvation. That he was victorious over death. And that we, by faith, share in His victory. His banner uh, is what we raise. And so, of course, if there is protection in the name, if there's victory in the name, the psalmist also says, then we will trust in the name. Some trust in chariots, verse 7, some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God, they collapse and fall. Uh, but we rise and stand upright. The word trust there could be translated, we, we swear by, or we boast, or we, we implore, that is, we call upon this name, we confess this name. It's all about, it's all about, uh, it's all really about speaking about uh, allegiance. John Calvin put this way when he was reflecting on that phrase, some trust in chariots. He said this, I do not restrict this to the enemies of Israel. Don't leave this in the Old Testament. As is done by other interpreters. I am rather, says Calvin, inclined to think that there is here a comparison between the people of God and all the rest of the world. We see how natural it is to almost all men to be the more courageous and confident the more they possess of riches, power, and military forces. The people of God, therefore, here protest that they do not place their hope, as is the usual way with men, in their military forces and warlike apparatus, or being the greatest nation in the world, but only in the aid of God. Says Calvin, as the Holy Spirit here sets the assistance of God in opposition to human strength, It ought to be particularly noticed that whenever our minds come to be occupied by carnal, that is, fleshly confidence in ourselves, they fall at the same time into a forgetfulness of God. Haven't you found that? I found that. The more you trust, the more I trust in myself, or think of myself, or my own strength, my own ability, or or something like that. It goes together, doesn't it? The more I think about myself and trust myself, the less and less confidence I have in God. said Calvin, it's impossible for him who promises himself victory by confiding in his own strength to have his eyes turned towards towards God. Now, there's a great contrast here, of course, isn't there, friends? There's two paths. Those who trust in chariots, horses, the course of the day, they were the tanks, the missiles, the bombers of the day. Apparently in Egypt, the king's chariot was actually considered a divine being. So powerful. A divine being itself. Of course, they make a lot of noise. They make for quite an experience. If you ever saw the chariot race in Ben-Hur or in uh, the movie Gladiator, uh, the chariot race. Great cost. Glamour. Neighboring nations boasted in them. But not, uh, not, not God's people. Now, why not? Well, actually, the Lord, way back in Deuteronomy, would say this to His people. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own. You shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Oh, the Psalms are full (laughs) Full of exhortations not to trust in chariots and horses, but to trust in the name of the Lord. That is, fear him, remember him, Uh, trust him as we face uh, our own battles today. Praying, confident, trusting the anointed one himself uh, has been delivered. And because the anointed one has been delivered, our king, all those who belong to the king. Have this same victory and salvation through Him. And because that's true, we have protection. We have victory. uh, And we can trust in the name of the Lord Jesus' name above all names. One last word from Charles Spurgeon. How different, he says, the end of those whose trusts are different. The enemies of God are uppermost at first, but they ere long are brought down by force or else fall of their own accord. Their foundation is rotten. And therefore when the time comes. It gives way under them. Their chariots are burned in the fire. Their horses die of pestilence. And where is their boasted strength? As for those virgin who rest on Jehovah. And the Lord. They're often cast down at the first onset. But an almighty arm. Lifts them. And they joyfully stand upright. The victory of Jesus is the inheritance of his people. The world, death, Satan, sin shall all be trampled beneath the feet of the champions of faith. While those who rely, says Spurgeon, upon an arm of flesh, as Cromwell warned against in that little Bible, shall be ashamed and confounded forever. Friends, this past Wednesday as we gathered at the bedside of Doris Hill who fought her own battle over this past year and more, praying, confident, trusting, one of the songs we sang was this. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace, over all victorious in its bright increase, perfect, yet it floweth fuller. Every day, perfect, yet it groweth deeper all the way. Every joy or trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of Love. We may trust Him fully. All for us to do. They who trust Him wholly find Him wholly true. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding, as he promised, right? perfect peace and rest. Peace and rest in the day of trouble, as we trust in the name of the Lord, as we trust in the name of Jesus. May it be so. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you have so gloriously revealed... Yourself so clearly, not only in the world around us that proclaims your glory, uh, but Lord, oh, especially in your word. And then so marvelously in the Lord Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, the king, the greater king than David, whose throne will never end, who has won the victory, who's delivered through death, who rose again and through his victory as our king, we too. No victory over sin and death and hell. And we can celebrate uh, even now that that victory is assured as we are protected, uh, as we are victorious, uh, and as we trust in the name of the Lord. Lord, help us then to put our whole trust in Jesus in this week to come as we face the day of trouble, the day of distress, the battle that you have placed before us here in our own families, our own lives, our own country. Lord, that we might be faithful and that we might know that blessing of perfect peace and rest that comes from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.